0: to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, is us and monthly co host Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. And this episode is being sponsored by Tarot by And if you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, Everything Imaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Deborah Lynn Catch, and she is the author of you Are Psychic in Associative Remote Viewing and several other books, and she is also going to be at the IRVA conference, which is coming up, and uh, she is here to talk about all of this, and uh, it's going to be a great interview. Thank you for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, So,
0: how did you get into remote viewing?
1: Well, gosh, I was already very involved in, uh, in different psychic modalities. And I had already written my first couple books on helping people to develop their own intuitive abilities. But my focus was mostly on reading and healing people. And then I came across a couple books, David Morehouse's book, The Psychic Warrior, which I could not put down, it was so incredible that both that actually the government had a psychic spy program, and then just everything he described about his his personal experiences with remote viewing. And then I read Russell Targ's book, Mind Reach, and was further blown away that there was had actually been the research arm of the military remote viewing program with researchers who did so many studies, just proving this stuff was real. And so I just knew that this was something I had to be, I had to try out and learn everything I could about. And that was, um, that was about 20 years ago, but I really didn't start formal training until maybe about 12 years ago or so. Mm.
0: Interesting. You know, uh, and as we were talking before the show that I do, Nate, I know Dave Morehouse, and I've actually taken his six-day remote viewing course, and it was a life-changing experience realizing that we all have these abilities. is incredible.
1: Yes. The, well, that's the thing when you discover, even with yourself, like how old were you when you took his class?
0: Well, it was just last year, so I was 53.
1: Wow. Oh, we're we're the same age. Yeah. So just the idea that you could have lived that long and not known that you can do what I'm sure you discovered, like even having some success in a remote viewing session with describing something that you can't physically see or hear. And so that, to me, that's still mind blowing. Like for me, I I got started with um, psychic training when I was about 27 years old. But I was like how I, I had explored these topics since I was just a little kid, because I would have all these experiences as a child with my twin sister. But we never realized that there were actually methods out there that you could follow and then and then gain a level, at least, of control over this. It so just that idea. Like one day you, you, you know, you're psychic, but you have no idea how to control it. It's just something that happens to you. And then the next you have a level of control over it. It's crazy. And then you see that so many people can do it some, you know, way better than you, some, um, some struggle more, but, but it is really a skill that you can develop.
0: I identify with that a lot. Like, I started reading tarot cards when I was about 12 years old. and wow. um, You know, but I never considered it a psychic ability. I kind of considered it as analyzing, like, a synchronicity in the cards. You know, I wow. didn't quite look at it as, as a psychic ability. Um, now, I, I do look at it, you know, differently, you know, and I do it differently now, too. Well, with the remote viewing, um, not only did it open my eyes to, um, you know, that I could enhance my my psychic abilities that I already had and use them in a different way, um, but one of the things that was proposed to me, too, was sort of like a different model of reality.
1: Yes. Yes. And... Also, just um, you have different experiences, you know, when you when you're working with different tools like that's what I never really realized, even though I had already at this point been doing psychic work. My work had all been well, I had used tar- cards earlier in my life, at, like when I was 20, 20 years old or so. And like you, I, I didn't really understand what was going on with them and i got scared because they were so accurate and i was like what's wrong but well, how could cards be accurate like this and you know no details of people's lives and then you know later on i realized oh well uh, my own abilities had something to do with this but but even after that and and going into reading people in reading people i would sit there close my eyes talk in real time I never used paper. I never sketched or wrote Mm -hmm. until Mm -hmm. I got into a remote viewing class. And then I realized when you use different tools like writing, you have a whole different experience. Or when you use tools like sketching, or when you imagine that you're traveling somewhere, even if you're, you know, not definitely, you don't know for sure if you're leaving your body, but you just can pretend you're leaving your body. Going around and exploring like things at ground level or up above, or or being at a location, visualizing you're at an unknown location and just smelling and listening and what do you hear and what what temperature is it and and sometimes being having these full body experiences. I had never really, I, I have experienced people's emotions when I did readings with them, but you know that was it. It was it was very limited. And so remote viewing really opened up a whole new world, like literally, it is exploring the world. And you get to know about things you never even, you know, you get to know, like, what's the difference between the top of a waterfall and a bottom of a waterfall? Or, you know, what I I just learned, like at the Roman Colosseum, which I had actually visited, in Rome a number of years ago with none other than Jessica Utz, who was an early remote viewing mm-hmm. researcher. We went there together when we were going to a conference. But even then I didn't there were certain things that I just recently learned through having a, a assigning my students a remote viewing project and having them remote view the Coliseum and that it was really crazy yesterday. One of my students wrote to me because I've given them this the target. Hopefully, they're not going to listen to this interview until <laughs> until they're done with their session. But I, I, for the first time ever, I gave students the target of the Roman Colosseum, and one of my students wrote to me yesterday. She said she had a dream where this old, guy, older guy, big tall guy with white hair was giving her some instruction in remote viewing. And in the dream, he said to her about the target, he said, yeah, there's animals there. There were animals there and, and gators too. And when she told me that, I was like, what? There were no gators at the Roman Colosseum. But I started to look at it and sure enough, there were. There's actually, there's there's drawings of, gladiators battling with alligators and they had every kind of animal to the point where they some of the animals got extinct like in one year they killed something like 200 giraffes it was crazy but anyway you learn about the world through remote viewing it's so cool do you, do you remember what your targets were when you were in class?
0: Um, yeah, one of them was actually the Hindenburg incident. Cool. Um, another one was like, the one that I did, the was two that I did really well on. And one was um, some incident somewhere where they were drilling, an oil rig was drilling in a lake and hit a void and it drained the lake. And, um, and that one I really nailed really well. And then another one was like this giant robot in like China or Japan.
1: And that one too
0: I did really well. I got like real specifics. I got the colors right and the the gears and I drew a picture of his leg. I mean... Wow. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And the other thing that's like amazing too is like it's beyond space and time. You know, we're not I'm not looking at just something in the present. Like if I'm trying to astral travel, you know, to a different location, and look at like you know like what somebody's doing. We're go you're going beyond, you know, our present space and time continuum that we're in, and looking at these things, and you know, and that's where like like it really changed for me, like the model of the universe. Um, like I know Dave's per- perspective on it is that. Um, we're, that we're living in a probability, and when we focus our attention on a different probability, then we're able to see that. Uh, is that the same model that you use?
1: Well, I wouldn't know that. Well, I wouldn't say I use any model. Mm-hmm. I just, I just do it. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't follow a model. But, but I would say that I. Do, I have found that, I, like I have found over the years that some things really do seem to be set in the future. And and if you get a sense of them, there, there's no changing them, they're going to happen. And then other things seem to be less set and less defined. And I think sometimes when you look into the future, that's why sometimes you can really get a lot of details about what's going to happen uh, and other times it's just foggy or, or like there's there's just nothing there yet. I've, I've seen that both in remote viewing sessions um, of like in predicting future events like with sporting events or um, financial events but then also in people's lives. Some people very much have their future set. And I do think it's really tied in um, with intentions and what they put out there ahead of them. And then other people, like it's just blank. And it's interesting because um, when I've done reading some people and it was blank, it almost always turned out that those were the people who seemed kind of lost. And like, I didn't even know they were lost. It was like, I was just looking in their future and I'm like, there's nothing here. It's a blank state. And then it turns out like they really, they have no idea what they're going to do. They have no idea. They they don't even know what they're interested in. They're, you know, they're just like, uh, I'm like, how do you not know even what you're interested in? So, you know, we'll look at that. But th- but that's very different than like people that are very goal driven and working towards things, then their future, again, even if you don't know that you just go into looking at their future, like there's all these things that are set. So I do feel like just the way we kind of orientate towards our future has like, it's hard to say what's the effect like, is it that the future isn't set because a person isn't um, focused or hasn't solidified it yet? Or is it that the person in the present doesn't doesn't know what's going to be happening for them, or or doesn't even have an idea of what they want because the future is so open? Like it's it it does really get to um, what's influencing what is now influencing the future, or is the future influencing now? And in remote viewing, especially the practice of associative remote viewing where you are like, um, working so much on describing future feedback photos that you're going to see in the future, the idea of cause and effect gets like really wonky, to the point where it, it seems that that the present can be impacted by the future. So when you get to the future moment, like when you get your feedback, you have to be really careful, or you'll impact you might do something to impact your past self and how well your past self is performing or what your past self is doing within the remote viewing realm. It gets really, people think you're nuts to be like, oh, I have to be careful right now. Like it's my feedback time and I I can only look at my photo. I can't like go look at other photos right now or I can't like go watch a movie right now because this is the time. I'm supposed to be looking at my feedback and I don't want to impact my past self. And they're just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it's, it, it's a real thing. It's, it it's pretty, it sounds crazy, but, but you find that if you, you know, say you're like, you scheduled with yourself like two days in the future to look at a photo that you were remote viewing two days before. um, I've had this happen so many times, like, If right then someone like someone walks in and is like, Oh, look at this painting I found in the garage. And it turns out then that what you described in your session wasn't the assigned photo, but it was like a perfect rendition of the painting that the person just showed you from the garage. Mm -hmm. So, so, or, or like someone walks in in some kind of like crazy costume, and it turns out that that's what you drew in your, remote viewing session because they walked in right then at your feedback time. So yeah, it's, uh, it's almost like you want to go in your room and lock the door and make sure nobody like gives you something else at that time. If you were, if your intention during your session was to only connect with um, your feedback photo, which is not always, that's not always the intention in remote viewing, but in some forms of remote viewing, depending on if you're using it to help you make future predictions. Um, And I'm not sure if you're familiar with associative remote viewing, but um, that's where you really start to learn about the impact of time, Hmm. future time on the present.
0: So can a person use remote viewing to change their future?
1: Well, you know, again, it's... um, it's a little hard to tell. Um, I'm not really. I'm not really sure. Uh, I've. I'm trying to think if I've used it to change the future. Um, I have definitely used different psychic practices to tune into the future. And, um, and then I tried to change the future and I couldn't. And, and then it became, well, I won't say that. Okay. I'll take that back. Um, I've seen that things weren't going to go well. Um, and that information, for example, I was going to be doing a workshop, um, with someone we know, Michelle, um, Mm -hmm. who referred me to you and, um, Michelle and I were going to be doing a weekend workshop at this historical church in Colorado, like the Denver and Boulder, several years ago. And I was really excited about it because the building looked so cool from the pictures. And we were going to be like promoting it like for a week before. And I tuned into it psychically, which was similar to remote viewing. But, you know, one of the definitions of remote viewing is, that you do it like in a more structured manner in um, using blind protocols. Yes. And in this case, I, I, I wasn't blind. I knew I was like trying to look into the future at my future workshop to see how it was. And so I use a different practice that I call clairvoyant reading, which I talk about in You Are Psychic, where um, one one approach is um, to use a symbol Um, when you want to get an understanding of something like more conceptually. So in that case, I looked at an image of a flower and I asked the flower to represent how the workshop was like that, the current energetic state of the workshop and how it would go. And, um, and I saw in the flower, like half of it was like beautiful and half of it was like old and like falling apart and almost smelled moldy and, and, So at that point, I didn't know more about like what was going on, but I had a sense that this was like telling us something about the building. So I called up Michelle and I said, you know, I know we were just going to go in like the night before the workshop to get things set up, but, but we're going to be there a week before. And the day we get there, we have to go to that church and look and see what's going on because something's really wrong with it. And then we got to the church and it turned out they were going to ha- put us in the basement. So we'd go to the basement and it was dark. It was moldy. It was terrible. We're like, we can't have a whole bunch of people come over here. So we had to like quickly find another venue and adjust our plans and everything turned out just fine. But so I, I go to that example because did I change the future? You know, I, I, I looked into the future, saw something was wrong and then changed it and made adjustments. So we went somewhere else and, and everything was perfect at that point. So there's examples like that, where I think you can avoid certain things um, by, by looking into the future. On the other hand, um, I, I do think there's a lot of events that you can't avoid. And that sometimes, when you try to, I think sometimes you don't have all the information too, you know, just like you saw in your remote viewing sessions. Mm-hmm. You had some mm-hmm. like that was a great example of the robot, like you actually got its leg and its gears and its colours. That's terrific. But you you your mind didn't fully comprehend like you know, where was this robot or you know, probably because you had never even seen that before. If you had been familiar with that robot before and, so, and and had a sense of it in your session, you might have been able to identify it in your session. But there's just so many things in, in life like that, like that we don't really, we get glimpses of things, but we don't know exactly what they're pertaining to. And then when you get that information about the future, you could, it, if it was just like wide open, then you, like, you know, something's gonna happen that's not gonna be good, but you don't know exactly what, And, and that's where a lot of anxiety can come in when you're trying to stop it, but you don't know exactly what you're dealing with. And, and, and I've had that happen. And actually then like the fear of what was going to happen ended up leading me to like doing some things that actually made things worse. Like I, I received one um, morning, I received um, some kind of communication that some like a disaster was going to happen, like on April fifth. Now this was several years ago, but I had, and this was like maybe like around March tenth or so. So I had like three weeks to wait until April fifth, and I had I had seen like s- kind of some alien faces, and then I had a sense of like loss, like loss of loved ones, and that was that was all. And so then I went back in psychically to look at it and I asked other people too because I was really nervous. I asked my like friends and students and people remote viewers to look at April 5th what's going to happen and like people were seeing like kind of tornado things. I I saw that too. And so we got to the day of April 5th and um I was like so nervous and I told my my husband and my son we're going to go like 2 hours to the beach like in Malibu and go surfing and I was just like you guys you can't leave like we have to stay together you know we we can't separate from each other and they were just like it's a beautiful day we're leaving well as it turned out so everything i tried to do to control the situation was not working well it turned out that there were tornadoes they weren't in california they were in the southern states and that was a, a, they were really horrible tornadoes and a lot of people died elsewhere. But what happened was I was like so distraught over what was going to happen. I lost track of our dog, our Siberian Husky. She got out and she disappeared for three months. So like that day was the day she disappeared. As it turned out, someone found her and kept her knowing that she was ours, but they kept her for three months until they decided to call us and say they had her. But at that point, like every day, I would drive around for hours searching for her. And even in that, like, I I had so many um, of my psychic friends, remote viewers, trying to then like tune in to see where she was. And I did as well. And we got, we got such great descriptions of where she was like that she was with this lady who had an adult son who had horses, and she would run with the horses. And she was on this big property behind like this iron fence. And we got all these details, which actually in the end turned out to be correct. But the problem was, we lived in this desert community, where everything looked the same, like there were a lot of people with horses, people had, um, people had huge properties. And there's no way you can go on other people's property there, they'll shoot you, you know, so that that you've probably heard the term like the search problem in remote viewing. And there's so many challenges with remote viewing. So you could get great descriptions of something. But if you don't have the capacity to like go and search, if you don't have permission to like enter the location, then there's going to be limitations to what you can do. So that was all wrapped up, and, and I still don't know, you know, what was it that caused this voice to tell me something bad and a loss was going to happen on April 5th. It's it's not really happened since then, but, um, yeah, weird, weird stuff. And And the problem is that we do only get partial information. You know, that's something if you read the government, the CIA reports, even going back to like the beginning of the remote viewing programs with, um, um, reporting on Ingo Swan's work and, um, oh, what was the police, uh, Pat Price, the former police officer who was, um, he would, um, he was able to even read like file names and numbers on files at a secret, um, a secret, uh, intelligence facility. Um, but the reports that I read because I, I um, went to school at University of West Georgia where Ingo Swan's archives were located. And so there were all these old CIA reports in it that I hadn't seen before. And they were saying, like, even with that level of detail of reading like a string of of numbers on a file in a file cabinet and being totally correct, Pat, Pat Price was that good. But he also sometimes had wrong data, like in the same in the same session. And so did Ingo. And so did every single remote viewer that's ever lived who, you know, the very best. They don't always get things right. There's almost always a little bit of incorrect data or vague data. And then there's what's not verifiable. And, you know, these these are the challenges of remote viewing and why, you know, this is why, like, you um, introduced Irva, um, the International Remote Viewing Association, which I'm the president of right now, and and we have our conference coming up in a couple of weeks. And you know, this is why we all get together and and keep working at all of this because we know how cool it is and how useful remote viewing is. But we also know that there's some some flaws. There's we're not there yet with what we how good, how good we want to be and how good, how how useful it can be, you know, and we're all working towards that. Sorry to blab on.
0: No, no, it's, it's <laughs> interesting because when I took the remote viewing course, you know, there was two types of data, which was was the data that um, I didn't put any association with, you know, it, it just filtered through, I drew it, I didn't judge it, it was there. And then there was, was the data where it would connect with something in my brain and I would identify as an object or a person or a place. And that stuff that I was identifying as a person, place, place, whatever, um, was put in a different column and was disregarded basically. Like we, we, we put that data inside because at that point my brain is taking data that's receiving and connecting it with stuff that's already existing in my
1: head. Yes.
0: So we we took the data that that was not associated with anything, and then, as as a group, you take all that data that's not associated with anything, and then a the person who knows the target takes it, and puts it all together. Um, is is that how you do it? Also.
1: Yes. Yes. So. That's like structuring your paper so you can separate out your analytic overlay. Mm -hmm. So you're just, you just want your descriptors and adjectives, and you want to, to the best of your ability, leave out what your brain is generating as like associations with or memories or things like that. You're still making use of the information, but it's like a separating process where you just have to, um, all the um it's like you're taking out what's really there and then the stuff that's just your brain is likely just generating as um imaginatory just putting that off to the right side or some people switch sides but i like to put mine to the right um and a lot of times that tends to be more nouns or higher level Mm -hmm. descriptors Mm -hmm. more proper nouns or more very um, specific things because those tend to not be um, as correct. The thing is they can be, yeah. and that that's where the challenge is, right? Uh-huh. Like you don't want to totally throw – That's why like, you write you, them down. <laughs> yeah, because you might, you know, you, you start thinking of Disneyland, like, oh, this seems like Disneyland. And there's a good chance that it's like Disneyland but not Disneyland. But every once in a while it – you might think Disneyland, and that's exactly what it is. so yeah, it's it's nice that you can put it down and and label it like as potential. I think of it as like potential analytic overlay, so I'm gonna put it in this column, and you know whether it's whether the target turns out to be Disneyland or not does not matter. You know you just you you need to get rid of that idea so you can go back to like directly observing and experiencing because the idea of what it is is not an observation or experience it's an uh, analytic assessment Mm -hmm. and like you say you you as the viewer like that's not your job to assess it's just you want to just keep getting data getting data and and also at the same time experiencing the target because the experience of the target is what makes it fun, you know, where you get to feel things and, um, and uh, feel things, smell things, hear things, um, and just all that happens during the session. That's the fun part. And in the more you can get into the experience, that's where you can then, then get more correct data. But the second you go to, oh, I, like, I don't understand this, or I'm trying to figure this out, or, where is this place? That's your, you go into your mind, and you're no longer experiencing. And really, you could say that this is like a great example of what happens in life where, you know, far too often, we're going into our analytical mind instead of and losing out like what's around us, you know, just having an experience with other people, or a situation instead we're going in and analyzing everything in our whole life, like every minute. So Mm -hmm. what you encounter in a remote viewing session is really a microcosm (laughs) of what you're doing all the time. Mm -hmm. Just it, it seems normal in everyday life, you know, but then we're just, we're losing something in, in everyday life through just getting so stuck in our having to understand things and, and then it gets into having to control everything too, you know, instead of just relaxing and enjoying the ride. Right.
0: That's where I mess up all the time. <laughs> I overanalyze and try to control situations. <laughs> in fact, that's, that would be a complete like how I would use the remote viewing. I would use it, as, you know, okay, well, I want a remote view of the future so I can manipulate it to make it go in my yeah. favor. <laughs> And then I'm going to spend all my time in between then and now worrying about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, Yeah, I mean we we all do this, but some people definitely do that more than others. It it is interesting because you, especially when you're teaching people and seeing like some patterns in in students, and some will like generate. Like um, analytic overlay after analytic overlay. It's like if you see a page and it's just like noun after noun, like maybe this is Disneyland, maybe this is Hawaii, maybe this is, yes. and you see a whole list of that, it's like, okay, um, you know, we need to backtrack here. Something's not going right. But with some people, you see like that's how some people think in analogies. Like I have a friend. Um, she's, she's been writing a book for a, a long time, like the same book. And she, she's not really, she doesn't get very far because the second she has a thought, she thinks of like metaphors and analogies and, and connections. And she's like really brilliant, but it, like the kind of the main point of everything gets lost And you see that with some people, like in remote viewing sessions, that their minds are just generating like lots and lots of metaphors. And so it does tell you how people think. Whereas, whereas other people like that are more engineers and architects, they tend to be really good at remote viewing and they'll get into like the little details of, you know, the shape of something or the structure of something. And, they'll, you know, they can easily like focus for like 30 minutes on just describing um, like the mechanics of something and little parts and how they go together. And it's pretty cool to, to see that too. And then seeing people that are artists and how they're, how beautiful their transcripts look compared to like someone like mine, which they're, my sketches are just, just chicken scratch basically. Mm-hmm. But you know, you still get the the gist of things down. Um, people that are have a good sense of humor, like they'll have funny things in their sessions. So it's cool to see how people's personalities come out.
0: So, is there a difference? Do you think between regular psychic, like like, like a psychic who that person will go to to find out their future or whatever, versus um, the structured method? of remote feeling is there a difference between the two or are they both tapping into the same information
1: well there's definitely a difference in approach Um, you know there there's so much difference they're both involving psychic abilities for sure um i find i have a lot of um, because i teach i run the international school of clairvoyance and I teach different modalities. So like I have a 12-week clairvoyant reading and healing class and then like a, an advanced class in that. And um, and then me I teach a mediumship class, which is another 12-week. In, and I'm pretty different from the clairvoyant class and then a 12-week remote viewing class. And so a lot of times I'll have my students that I worked with in these other modalities, then they'll come into my remote viewing class. And they're really blown away because they're like, wow, this is, you know, so different than what we have been doing. It's different techniques. Um, We're using different materials. We're um, um, the the subject matter, you know, describing locations or objects, like locations and objects will come up when you're reading people sometimes because obviously people live somewhere, they work somewhere, they're, you know, they have questions about the house they're gonna buy or or um, you know, you might just see where they're going on vacation. So there are physical components where you will go into like describing physicality um in in a lot of detail, but it's just different approaches and you know, when you're only going after a location or you're only going after, um, an object, it's, it is different. So, so I think it's just like the difference in modalities and working and, and, um, uh, kind of on every level, the way it's set up with blindness versus, I mean, when you're reading people, like, especially with reading people over the phone, like I, I, and the way I teach my students, is like, we do have a level of semi blindness. I mean, we know who we know that there's a person we're reading. A lot of times we might know their gender because of their voice or their name. Um, But we may not know hardly anything else than that. And I don't like to use video when I do readings over the phone. I don't want to see my client, I just want to close my eyes. I want to see them psychically. And that's how I train my students. So you don't, you want to have less information, not more, but that is still different than in remote viewing. Like if you're just given a target number and you, you might not even know if your target's a location or an object, or you might have a little front loading, like the target's a location, but you don't know anything else other than that. So, you know, that might be kind of an equivalent level of information to knowing when you're doing a reading on someone, you know, that, okay, this you're reading a woman, you know, that might be equivalent with that level of, of information up front. But there's just a lot of differences between the techniques. So people, mm. but I find that what happens with my clairvoyant students is they'll come in to my remote viewing class and initially they will because um, we worked a lot with using symbols and then in remote viewing, you really don't want to, you don't want to like generate symbols because again, that's going into like um, associations and you're going to have too much, you're going to have a hard time knowing like, is this a symbol or is this a um, like what's actually there physically? Like you, you don't need to use symbols or even want them in remote viewing. So I find when my when my psychic students or clairvoyant students come over at first, they'll do a little worse because they're generating, they're generating that extra analytic overlay. Um, But I, but they work it out. Like usually by like the third, if it's a 12 week class, like by the third or fourth week, they work it out. And then they, then they're doing really, really well, but it's just switching over into a new modality and then getting used to going, back and forth. And I really find that with like other psychic practitioners, like whether they go whether they they're in remote viewing, and then they go into mediumship, or they're in mediumship, and then they go into remote viewing, um, or even just sometimes learning like a single new technique that that's different from what they were using before. Like initially, there's a bit of dis- decombobulation, um, like things just aren't flowing as well. And so I've had it like before where someone came to me and they're like, Oh, my gosh, like, because I'll, I'll have professional psychics come into my classes, because they just want to like, fine tune another ability, like their clairvoyance or their telepathy. And, um, and the, they'll be like, Oh, no, now I can't even, you know, read it, read a client, or I can't do this anymore. What What have you done to me? And I'll be like, no, you know, just, just get through it. it. Everything's shifting around for you because you're like operating differently. And just trust me, like, you know, this will work itself out and and you're going to see your skill level go even up some notches from here. If, if that wasn't the case, we wouldn't be working together. And sure enough, that does tend to be what, what happens, but, you know, it's like people sometimes just they're, they're starting over. They're kind of, Anytime you start a new skill, you just have to let yourself, you know, be where you are and then develop from there.
0: Hmm. The, the class that you have on clairvoyance, is it strictly just clairvoyance, which is visual data? Or do you also incorporate, you know, like clairaudience and all the other clairs that are out there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. De- definitely incorporating all of them. But I call it a clairvoyant class because we're starting with the visual. Um, it we're we're practicing our visualization. We're using visual symbols, and we start with the visual and and focus on it. And that seems to free up all the other clears. It's kind of like you know you you're not trying to feel something. Well, the thing the thing with feeling like clear clear. Um, clear sentience Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, basically being empathic um, people are already naturally so clear sentient like that tends to be something a lot of people already come with Um, but anytime like you um, are are um, focusing on another person um, you're gonna really especially psychically in any way like you focus on them clairvoyantly but then you start to feel their emotions, you feel the sensations in their body, like it, that just like gears up big time. So these will come um, naturally as what doesn't tend to just come naturally for a lot of people is clairvoyance until they start to to use these um, visualization techniques and, and, and say they want to have... Um, They want to work with imagery and get information that way. So uh, a lot of my students were like me, where they never had any vision in their life, or maybe they would have an occasional spontaneous one. But because we're focusing on the visual, that does then happen, like pretty much like every time they go through the techniques, you, you see like how easy it is to get visuals. And then all your other abilities, you start to hear things, you start, eventually, you start to have like instant knowing where information will just like flow into your crown, and then you, and that comes along with the clairvoyance. What I like about the clairvoyance is when, uh, especially when you want to um, heal someone, it clairvoyance lends itself to healing and also manifesting, because if you um, can see energy already, then you can manipulate it. So for example, like if, if I had a sense, let's say, like I was reading you, and I um, had, like, I felt something in my stomach. And I was to say like, Oh, well, you know, I think you might have some stomach something going on with your stomach. Because um, I can feel it. Well, you know, that might be useful, but that's only useful to an extent if I wanted to really understand, well, what's going on in this stomach? Like what's the cause and what would help with that? I would need more information. And a lot of times like people can get like, yeah, I feel like there's something going on with your stomach, but if we want more information, that's where the visual can come in. And then let's say there was like some energy there, like um, that, and everything is energy. So disease is energy. Um, but stress is energy and sometimes there's foreign energies like if you just like had someone else in your house that was upset that upsetness could actually like um, that emotion could go into your into your stomach area so as a clairvoyant if you could close your eyes and like see like the energy like oh I see some dark energy in your in your solar plexus area or I see some white energy or i I see something that looks like a cord, well, you could, now you have something to manipulate, like, oh, I'm going to see that black energy just leaving, or I'm going to see that white energy leaving, or I'm going to visualize that cord coming out. And sometimes when you do that, the the person you're working on, like, they'll actually feel it, like, oh, it feels, I just got this weird sensation in my stomach, like, it almost felt like something was being pulled out, like, people will say that. And you know, when you're at your house, their house, and you're on the phone, and they have no idea that you're even like, starting to look at or work on their stomach. But this is an example where if you're already seeing energy, you can manipulate it. um, But you need to see it first. And so that's another reason why to um, work with clairvoyance first and really develop that especially with people. And then it is so useful with remote viewing you know there's some remote viewers who feel like um, because again we're um, like you learn to do working with paper um, you're you're sitting there sketching Um, some people are just letting the information come out on the paper and they're not or like just listing out words and which I do too a lot of times I just have a word I don't have a picture but it is sure nice to get pictures and so that's where I feel like my other practices, my clairvoyant practice has helped me because I do get a lot of visuals in in remote viewing. And, you know, other people, some do, some some don't. Some think they don't, but I, I'm, when they, I always think, well, if someone could describe a shape, if they can describe something visually, then they are seeing it. But um, like Des Smith, and I i don't know if you know Des Smith, he's a um, longtime remote viewer and he's written books and, and and run social media platforms. We've had this debate because he he's an excellent remote viewer. He has mm. such great, great um, sketches. And he said to me like quite a while ago, he was like, yeah, I'm not visual. I don't I don't see things. I just like um, write them down or just kind of get them. And I was like, well. How, how are you like doing all your sketches then if you're not seeing things? And uh, like after our conversation, I was still pretty convinced he's seen things. But I think him, like a lot of other people, I don't know if he still feels that way. It was a while ago. But, but a lot of people like discount their visuals because they come in so fast and they're fleeting or they're partial. They're not what they think. You know, a lot of people think visuals are supposed to be like picture clear and they're not, you know, they're, they're fleeting They're You're barely sure you saw them, but you did, you did somehow see them. It's not the same. Most of the time, it's not the same as seen with your physical eyes. I will say that occasionally a visual can be like as clear as a picture or something on your TV and, you know, linger longer, but but that is so rare. Most of the time, it's just like you're barely sure you saw it, but you did somehow get enough to be able to register that shape. I'm sure you That's the that. That's the way
0: it was for me, too. It would be like a flash, and I'd be like, well, I, I totally don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense. And then I'd write it down. And yeah. it, it was that information that you typically turned out to be the most accurate.
1: But yeah. it was, but it was
0: usually like a flash. It was was it wasn't like um in, it, in like a three D type of environment. It was just like this uh, a flash of a color or a shape or or whatever.
1: Yeah, and and the key is to to sketch it because so many times it's not going to be what you're thinking it is. But that but yeah, that shape um, is very very important and. And when you sketch it, then you have more to work with. Because once you have anything on your paper, then like you can go and touch what's on your paper and touch different parts of it. And that's where sessions will really start to develop. You know, if you got like, if you got like a square shape or a triangle shape, but then you touch the top of the shape, you could either just top touch the top and then information will come will come about the top, you know, like, if, is there a chimney up there? Is there are there people up at the top? Is there a hole in the top is, you know, is it metal or wood? Or is the top on fire? You know, you, a lot of times, like, you won't get that information, you just get like the the shape of the whole thing. But um, until you say, I'm going to go explore the top of this, whether you just touch it or, or I like to think of it like I am going there. So I pretend like I'm flying over to the top of whatever the triangle thing is, and putting my feet at the top and just hanging out there, and then seeing what do I get. And then when you get impressions, you can draw that into the the top of the um, whether it's a triangle or rectangle. And then you could do that at the bottom. And at the bottom, like, you might then discover next, like, oh, when I go to the bottom, there's actually water here, or there's a hole in the ground, or um, there's there's a lot of people here. You know, maybe the people they're wearing uniforms or they're lying on the ground, not moving. But like, until you start to like probe the different areas, it's you didn't you didn't even get any of that information, and that's really that's what helps get a a session like so detailed where, you know, in the end, you could produce like a whole very detailed, detailed drawing of the whole location or scenario with all those details, but you really had to go step by step. Most of the time, and I won't say not always, because, you know, you could get like the whole picture of the whole location all at once. But that's like, that's way more rare. And instead it is like this development of your session mm-hmm. as you go along and that's where you know additional practice and training and and just taking your time and being disciplined but you know as you're doing all that you have to constantly be flushing your mind of those ideas that are developing about it you know if you if you like see a triangle and then you get a sense of water underneath it like your mind can't help but be like, oh, is this a sailboat? Uh, am I on the water? Uh, you know, anything that you could connect with water in a triangle shape. And, and you have to so much not do that because like we were talking about before, like now you're getting locked into an idea that's probably wrong. And it's like, get it's interfering with with the new flows of data that could come in that would be correct. So this is so much... You know, Joe McMoneagle calls remote viewing mental, a mental martial art. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's such a great term for it because it is like, you, you know, it's pushing yourself, it's being disciplined, it's checking where you're, uh, it's it's knowing what you're good at and also seeing where your weaknesses are and then having to overcome them. And it's all taking place within your mind
0: I think that's one of the reasons why it worked well for me because I'm a very methodical person and um you know the way he way it was taught to me was like looking through the aperture of a lens you know like the first one is like the smallest view and then you get and then each of the seven steps you're opening up the aperture of the lens to see more and more and more of the information yeah
1: yeah and the longer you sit with it and the more you work at it, yeah, the, the flow really does start to happen. So if if everything's working well after you've been in your session for a while, you you really um, are getting more and more details. So it, it is cool. And it is that that structure, some people really need the structure. Um even people that don't so much like structure like i am not a very structured person but but remote viewing has helped me um you know just like to format my paper to not have like words scattered all over the place Mm -hmm. um you know to just have even have something to present to other people that is in a in a more organized form and that organization you know in um, remote viewing methodologies like controlled remote viewing or um, just just even if you're not following that methodology like so intently but just the idea you're you know organizing your paper a bit um, you, you end up producing something that a client is or a project manager or a researcher depending who you're doing it for they're really going to appreciate you know as opposed to like when students first get started, like their first target or so before they really learn the structure, they'll just have like words scattered all over their papers, and they'll Mm -hmm. have tiny little drawings that you can barely see. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny, just, it's really interesting, too, how people are so similar to each other. You know, after you've been, um, you've seen so many remote viewing sessions and work with so many people, you know exactly like what they're going to do starting off and and, and how things are going to unfold as they go along. And, you know, I, like uh, I laugh when my students like they'll, they'll have like a sketch that like really is a great match to the photo, but they draw, draw it so tiny because they're not confident and they also don't want to use too much paper. So you have these like tiny little drawings you can barely see. Almost you need a magnifying glass. And it's so easy to dismiss it, like to not even see it when you're reviewing their transcripts. And then you go back and it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this, like the target's a castle and the student drew a castle, but I missed it because it was like a centimeter too big. And then you have to tell the viewer, you know, okay, next time, next time you do a session, you have got to take your sketch and like draw, like, you know, at least a third, it's got to cover like a third of your paper. So then, you know, we can see it and you can just work with it differently. So it's just things like that, where you might think like, oh, well, that that's not even like psychic advice. That's just advice about, you know, what to put down on your paper. But all of this is important, right? So that's why like, remote viewing is not just about being psychic. And I think some remote viewing teachers, like I worked with Lynn Buchanan starting out mm-hmm. and um, former military remote viewer. And he would say, like, this "This isn't about being psychic, really. And and I, that confused me. I was like, well, wait, then what are we doing here? And about really, it took me a while to understand, like, yes, we are very much being psychic, but there's so much more to it. Than just being psychic it's the organization it's the yes. tools it's the the structure and and working together and how we're going to set all of this up it's it, that's that's why um ingo swan defined remote viewing he said it's not it's not about the psychic ability it's using a psychic ability within within an experiment or within a design it's the overall Design and set up, not just your psychic ability.
0: That's exactly how I was taught, also. I was taught structure, 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 and don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, just, just, just do, if you do the structure, you follow the structure, everything else will happen the way it's supposed to. And it does. It's incredible. I mean, yeah, we're using a psychic ability, but, um, that, 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 structure definitely brings about results.
1: Yeah. And just having something to rely on to with that structure, you know, I, I find that I don't always use it, but occasionally I will just be getting stuck or I'm all over the place. And then I say, you know, I, I'm going to go back and do a structured session just like I learned where you do one thing and then you do the next and you're just be real disciplined and it, it does help work out the bugs for sure. And, and kind of get you back on track. And, you know, there, some people are just very, very unstructured in their life. And when they first go into a remote viewing class um, and start learning the structure Um, They find it very frustrating because it's like, oh, I just want to be psychic. I don't want to think about where I have to put this word on the paper or, you know, what what comes next. And they'll get they'll get angry. (laughs) You know, it's like very, very frustrating. Um, But I I always just tell them, you know, you're here to learn and and not to like just in this in every moment, like demonstrate how psychic you are, you know? So it's like having that discipline and learning the structure first, even if in that learning it, you know, it might, it may make you feel like you're getting out of the flow because you've got to figure out where to put things on your paper and, and stuff like that. But it'll really, it'll free you up later to be really psychic because there'll be so much you don't have to have to worry about. Um, some people, you know, get there and other people just never do because they're just like, I don't need this. I'm, I'm already psychic. So and, you know, it, it just depends what um what they're trying to achieve. But, you know, someone might be super psychic and just do a terrific job with reading other people. But if they're going to turn in a paper that just has words all over and, and it's just like really messy um, where I've had that, you know, someone's just like, I don't, I already know what I'm doing here psychically. And it's like, yeah, you you can give someone a great reading. But I'm not gonna when I see that what their paper looks like, I'm like, you, you have, you know, one page, you don't have enough on your page. It's things are all over the place, you don't have any sketches. Uh, you know, I can't turn this into, our project manager, I wouldn't turn this into a client. So, um, you know, if you want to do this, you need to amp up your game here. And, you know, fortunately, there's a set of tools that will help you with that. And probably like yourself, um, you know, that's what it's all about is knowing that, okay, I can sit down and do this. And this is likely to at least, you know, give me some data. It's It's a way to go go and get information and you know each time maybe you're you're not always going to be on target and some sessions are going to be way better than others but at least you've got a shot whereas you know without these approaches you 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 really didn't have that shot before that's what's cool about it
0: one of the things that i was really surprised about was like when i first started doing it um he was like well, you're gonna to have to expect to you know fill 15 pages at least of data for each session I was like there's yeah. no way there's absolutely no way I'm writing 15 pages of stuff <laughs> it's not happening you know I can't I can't write 15 pages of anything <laughs> and um, sure enough it was about 15 pages
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, that's funny. Because yeah, the first time anyone does it, like they all turn in one page. And sometimes it's half a page. And yeah, by the time you're done, if you've learned the whole structure, and and you, you learn like how much you have to go in and, and get information about because like, I mean, if you say, say you're describing someone's house, like you don't know what the target is, but it was like your friend's house, you know, you, you could like, you could spend hours describing the house, you know, even just like the bathroom, you know, if you, if you come across a few objects, you don't even know, like intellectually, it's a bathroom, but you're like, Oh, here's an oval shape. And here's the square shape. And there's some water here. Mm-hmm. You, you could mm-hmm. easily take like two hours to describe just the bathroom, even just describing like the toilet or the bathtub could, you know, could be like 10 pages. And uh, if, if you're really going to get into like the detail of, of everything, and then to describe like the whole house, you could take like, I mean, I, I've had sessions that were like 50 pages long, because it's just when, when there's like a lot of buildings at a location, there's buildings, there's activities, there's people, there's so much to describe, it actually starts to become overwhelming. When like, you know, every time I get a shape, a structure, um, a person, like I need to go back in and get more information and more information. So it really start it really gets to the point where it's like, okay, I could like, I, I could keep going for months describing a single target. But I don't have time for that. So, you know, that then it gets into okay, well, I'm just going to send this to my project manager or instructor or whoever. And then if they want me to do more on it, you know, I can, but that's, that's the way a lot of remote viewers end up working is because there is so much you could describe. And sometimes the worst thing is when, you know, you end up like describing really well, the wrong thing or something (laughs) that is not important at the target, you know, where it's like, um, you, you get into describing a person or an object and you miss the whole building mm-hmm. or you, you got the shape, but you didn't go into describing it after two hours. And like, that was, or, or
0: sometimes you'll pick up something nearby the target and get wrapped up in that too. Yeah. Like, like if you have a wide target and you focus like on a tree or a bench or something. You, it, you'll exactly. Get
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's challenging for sure. So, so many challenges.
0: what are some of the common reasons why people would want to learn remote viewing or clairvoyance or telepathy? Like, like, what is the benefit for people to learn these things? And um, you know, what what is the most common reason you get from your clients that come to you that want to learn and take your courses?
1: Well really, when we use our psychic abilities, we're doing it to get information. And almost every moment of our lives, we're wanting to get information. So this is just another way. And, um, you know, whether it's remote viewing or clairvoyance, what I found to be the most practical application of remote viewing is using it to find things like to find missing things for uh, my, my husband is always losing his wallet or his his keys or his money, and so so I've had so much opportunity to practice just with him alone, and it's so useful. I just had a student yesterday share that he could not find what was it. There was something he I think it was his keys. Yeah, it was his keys he couldn't find and he was getting really frustrated. And then he thought, Oh, well, I've learned remote viewing. Why, why and, and clairvoyance? Why, why haven't I, why aren't I using this? So he said he sat down and he had to like refocus a few times, but suddenly he heard the sound of Velcro. And he's, and then he thought, well, Velcro, where do I have Velcro? And then he remembered he had these shorts that have Velcro in them. And sure enough, um, that's where the keys were in the Velcro pocket. I thought that was so cool that he actually heard that sound. That cool. Um, yeah, I, I had it once where I couldn't, um, find my keys and I, tuned in, and I smelled beer. And I was like, beer? Like, wh- where would my keys be where there were was beer? And then I remembered we had gone out the night before. Um, we had just stopped in somewhere to play pool for like 15 minutes. We didn't even drink, but it was at a bar. And sure enough, that's where the keys were. And another time, this like still blows me away is my my husband hid our car keys somewhere. And then we went on a trip for three weeks to the East coast driving up and down the coast. And we got back and he could not find the keys. And so I tuned in and, um, and I had, he had not told me where they were and I tuned in and I saw this white truck and I went over to the truck and I was like, well, gosh, you know, this, they could be anywhere. So I tuned in again. And this time I had an image of the, of a birdhouse and and it was near the truck, but uh, then I realized, oh, that birdhouse isn't there anymore. So I don't know why I'm seeing it. So I tuned in again and I saw this little statue and then I went and looked again and I realized the statue was where the birdhouse used to be. And I also had an image of a cover of a sprinkler system and that was right over there too. So I was like, okay, everything is t- is pointing like right on the ground where the sprinkler system is. So I opened up the sprinkler lid and I'm like, this is really stupid. There's no way the keys are in here. And I didn't see them, so I covered it back up. But I kept getting the same imagery when I would go back to look at it. So I finally went back over, lifted up the cover, stuck my hand in about a foot down. And sure enough, the keys were a foot in the ground. And now we were, we were living in the desert. We had two and a half acres. So I found keys underground on an open desert property through using, in in this case, I don't know if you'd call it, you know, some people might say, well, you might not technically call it remote viewing. You might just call it clairvoyance because I did know I was looking for my keys and I just, I didn't do a structured session. I just sat down and got this imagery um so but it it was useful and so that's big application um you know when it comes to um why else might you use remote viewing it's well my latest book associative remote viewing the art and science of predicting outcomes for sports financials for, uh, uh elections and the lottery so people these are um, for applications that people are using their psychic abilities. like so many people they want to know like how is crypto doing? how how is my my um, Bitcoin investment doing or my stock investment? Um, you know, what should I do with my money? Um, who's gonna win um, the football game? Um, um, so many questions like that. people want so for wagering purposes, people, um, want to use remote viewing for and then um, sometimes it's just for the experience of it sometimes it's for research and then of course with your psychic abilities being able to get information for people you know people want to understand like what's happening in my relationship or <laughs> why am I feeling frustrated or you know what's gonna should I what program should I go into and so there, there's so much that our psychic abilities could give us information for and not to tell us like what to do, but just to give us understandings of, you know, what's happening, and why is it happening? And, you know, really for personal growth and development, you know, our psychic abilities can tell us where a person is stuck. So it's very therapeutic. Um, You know, where, where is a person getting stuck in their life? where is their thinking too small? You know, so many people, like they just get fixated on an idea of what's possible for themselves. And then they, they can't think of what else they can do in their life or how to open up new possibilities for themselves. And that's what um, clairvoyant readers can do um, for people. And um, of course, then there's mediumship being able to tune into deceased loved ones. And Um, or even not even just loved ones. But one of the things I like to do is to tune into deceased researchers, and inventors and people that have knowledge that have passed on, and making use of their wisdom, and learning from them, you know, learning from the deceased, I find that more interesting than tuning into deceased relatives who, you know, they weren't necessarily all that smart when they were alive. So, there's so many things we could do with our psychic abilities. That's just really the tip of the iceberg. Wow,
0: yeah, it, it's definitely for for me. It's been a personal growth experience, and um, I don't know. It, it just opens up possibilities. I, yeah. I, I feel like um, I don't know. I, I have. I have more control over or or more ability to to manage my own life than I previously yeah. thought before discovering that these structures and abilities actually that that existed, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get to learn so much about yourself, you get connected into yourself. Um you ha- you start to think differently. Like you said your model of life is mm-hmm. is different now the way the lens you view things from is different and how life works. You know, our psychic abilities, to me, are our best shot at really getting a glimpse into how how life works. You know, I mean, everything in life is still such a mystery. it's it's crazy. There's so much that people don't know, like how did we get here? Why are we really here? How does life and death really work? The, the most brilliant scientists and physicists, they might have their theories, but but they don't know any more than you know our religious leaders do. you know they some think they know more than others, but so much of life is a mystery. How, how can we really be these weird, looking human beings that we are like living these lives. It's so unfathomable and whatever the way reality really works is so, so different from how our little puny brains really think it works. It's so different. And we know so little as, as a human race about our own existence and reality. So, you know our our current mindset is overall is especially material materialistic mindset is just so so limited and so for me our best shot at even getting little glimpses into how life may really work is through our psychic abilities it's like it's through direct experience as much as we can have it and of course we are always limited through the, through the limitations of the way our minds work, but at least we're getting glimpses into, you know, other realities, other, other lives, other, um, other modes of existence. And, and that's pretty exciting. And we don't have to just listen to what other people tell us. We can see and experience directly for, for ourselves.
0: It is actually, yeah, is it's fascinating. Um, so before we wrap this up, I want to thank you so much for being on. This is one of my favorite topics to cover, and uh, it's been great talking with you. Yeah. And um, where people, where can people find you, and um, also attend the uh, conference that is coming up that you're um, putting together?
1: Yeah, thanks. Well, for the International Remote Viewing Association conference that's irva.org, you could go directly to their website and there's a there's a um banner you can click on to get information about the conference, which is going to be a hybrid conference so it'll be in Menlo Park, California, July 22nd through the 24th, so just in a couple weeks, few weeks. And then it'll also be online and um, um, there's going to be a great online program and, and fun activities and like even online parties and things for, for um, people that are going to be present to get to know each other and do different fun um, remote viewing related activities. And so um, that's happening. And then also I do teach classes through the International School of Clairvoyance and we'll have our new classes, Clairvoyance, Mediumship, Remote Viewing, starting in September. I'd love for people to join me in those. And you can learn more about that through my own website at debrickatz.com, D E B R A K A T Z.com. And then I have several books on these topics, which is a great place to start. You are a Psychic, Extraordinary Psychic, Freeing the Genie Within. Those three volumes are can be found within a trilogy called The Complete Clairvoyant. And then also the book on associative remote viewing. For those of you that want to learn how to use your psychic abilities to make predictions about stocks and sports and um, even advancing with the lottery, some people have had success with that, such as the co-author of my book, John Knowles, and who's also going to be speaking at mm-hmm. the conference. Um, so that's something that you can find on Amazon by just um, putting in my name, Deborah Lynn Katz. Awesome,
0: and I just purchased one of your books also, which is the "You Are a Psychic" book. Oh, great! Yeah,
1: that's a great place to start. And there's really helpful meditations in in there that will really make a difference with like people's stress levels and um, just feeling better. And in this uh, crazy world right now. You know, we we need all the help we can get. And so even if you're not sure if you want to really like dwell deeply into your psychic Mm -hmm. ability, just um, there's some really helpful meditations in there that I live by. I always return when I'm like really stressed out and, you know, just the bottom line is having a practice that one can go to to get um, just feel better, uh, let go of stress just being able to enter, to change the state you're in from one mental state or emotional state to another and, and having a way to do that for oneself. So you don't have to turn to drugs or alcohol or just relying on other people, but being able to rely on yourself and, um, you know, lots of different meditation modalities can help with that. Um, but the, the ones I use, I found to like, for me work the best of anything. And, and that's what I talk about in the book, you are psychic, and some of the others. So th- thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to talk to a host who has actually taken remote viewing classes and practice and just, and where you think so deeply about it, you know, I, I could tell like, you're just so intelligent, and you can really, um, you really think deeply about these things. And, and I really appreciate that. It's oh. been a great conversation.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been fantastic talking with you also. And you are welcome back anytime. And um, we'll wrap it up. I'm just going to play the outro. All right. Oh, oh. and the links to your website and to the, um, the conference will also be in the notes to this episode for my listeners to find you and find your books. Because... Um, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out and, and it's life-changing stuff. I totally recommended all of it.
1: Ah, uh, thank you so much. And thank you to the audience for listening today. I, I appreciate all your time. Thank you. All right, take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much.
2: Thank you for listening to everything imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book Enlightenment Guarantee. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you love what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cocholio.